Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. The next illness that he mentions is hatred, which in Arabic is called bughas. And in Urdu, you would have the same word, hatred, spite, malice for somebody. Another disease, another means another disease of the heart is hatred for other than the sake of Allah. It is, it's cure to pray for the one despised. This is with the understanding that you have not done wrong if you are repulsed by the hatred you harbor and do not act in accordance with it to harm the person. Alright? Bukhuz means, right, to hate somebody for other than the sake of Allah. There's a very famous hadith in the Prophet that you should love for the sake of Allah and you should hate for the sake of Allah. Hating for the sake of Allah means that to have a dislike in your heart or a bogus in your heart for the enemies of Allah, those who detract from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who deny Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who malign Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who close off the path to us for worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But other than that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's asal, even for humanity, is that we should be compassionate towards all of humanity. And that's why in the Qur'an al-Kareem he addresses the believers and tells them that one of their attributes should be وَعَافِينَ عَنِ النَّاسِ That they should be awful, they should be forgiving عَنِ النَّاسِ Not just عَنِ mu'mineen or عَنِ muslimin But they should be forgiving of all of humanity. So by and large, bughaz is a very little scope for us to even have that bughaz and the only extent to which we can have it and the place we can have it can only be for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He immediately mentions his cure. The cure for bughas is to pray for the one that you despise. And many times in this day and age, right, bughas, hasad, these things are related to one another. And we have hatred for somebody. And you hate that person for the wrong reasons. Sometimes that hatred is born out of hasad. What does that mean? Is that you feel envy. You're upset that they have something. So first you are upset at the fact that they have something. This is what I did with you previously when we did bukha, right? And in fact, that is against the other towards Allah because you're actually upset with Allah because Allah subhanahu is the being who gave them whatever it is that you're upset that they have. Second thing, sometimes the person starts getting bughas directly for that person. Starts feeling, it's like a fire in your heart. When you see, and the way you can tell it, when you see them, you see them on campus or you see them walking anywhere, your heart starts to get inflamed, you get upset, you feel agitated. You get in a bad mood, you wish you didn't see them, you wish they didn't exist. All of this is bogus, right? And if it's not done for the right reason, right, it's extremely wrong. And unfortunately, the reason this is being mentioned, unfortunately, you would think that this would be the last place bugs would occur. But unfortunately, there's a lot of bugs between fellow Muslims. Fellow Muslims of different groups or different views or different persuasions see one another and have bugs for one another. <laughs> Or even in Pakistan and some other places in the world with their own families that people have books for their own brother, sometimes sister, or daughter, mother-in-law, Allah Akbar. Daughter-in-law and mother-in-law or daughter-in-law, however you want to call it, have books. Hatred, deep hatred, malice, spite, very strong feelings against the other person. So it's cure being mentioned is that you have to pray. How can I rid myself of this book? So the first step is to be honest and realize what he says that you are repulsed by the hatred you harbor. The first thing is to feel that hatred and to be repulsed by it. We have to become morally offended, repulsed at our own behavior. We should look at that bugs inside of us and feel shame. First of all, be ashamed that, Ya Allah, what's wrong with me? That I have so much hatred for this person and it's not for some legitimate reason. And secondly, repulsion that we should be so upset 
with ourselves, that what type of person have we become? We become a hate-mongering person. This is the word that's used in English. You're a hate-mongering person. You harbor ill will towards other people. You harbor evil desires towards other people. So we should be repulsed at Yalla, what type of person have I allowed myself to become? It's only when we feel that remorse and it's only that when we feel that repulsion that we would actually feel some desire to come out of it. The only person who is ever going to look for a cure is a person who honestly acknowledges themselves as sick. So especially in bogus, because the thing is that we rationalize, we justify our behavior. The no is justified hatred. They did this, this, and this. Or they think the X, Y, and Z. So the first step is to get out of our delusion, stop justifying and rationalizing the anger, be, feel remorse, feel that, feel that repulsion. And not to do any action in accordance to that hatred. Don't act on the basis of hatred. Don't make any decisions. You will find that all of these illnesses that we're going to do are going to be things that we should not base our decision on. You should not act or make a decision when angry. You should not act or make a decision when in a state of bogus. Because you will do something, you will try to hurt that person. You will try to harm that person. It might be physically, it might be verbally. You might try to malign that person. That is slander, ghibat, namima, backbiting. A whole series of things might happen to us if we fall into fall prey to our books. The first thing is to control it, to swallow it. Second is to feel remorse and to be repulsed at it. And third, the final cure is to make du'a for that person. If we want to say that, how can we remove the bogus for this person in our heart? And you'll have to force yourself. It's not going to be, du'a is not going to come to you naturally or lovingly. You have no love for this person. You're going to have to do taqallub jabran. You're going to have to force yourself to make du'a. And you have to make massive du'as for that person. Like as if they're your greatest friend or your greatest child or your greatest elder or your greatest teacher. Du'as for the akhirah and jannatul firdaus bighayr hisab and wilayat and taqwa and sunnat and happiness in this world and falaf darain and success and joy in the both lives. Things that how many of you hate somebody? It may be very difficult to say that. But when you force yourself to say that with your tongue, and your niyat is that you're doing this du'a, right, to cure yourself, then inshallah al-aziz, Allah Ta'ala will remove that bugs from your heart. The secret to all of these cures really is your own talab is and our own niyat. If we really want to be cured of a spiritual illness, then Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala is the one who's going to cure us. It's not ourselves, it's not the cure, it's not the book, it's not the dars. It's Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala who can cure us. All we have to do is put ourselves in range, right? All we have to do is turn the receiver on. All we have to do is become magnets of his rahmah, magnets of his tazkiyah. So the things mentioned here really are just things to make us those magnets. So when you start making du'a for that person in an attempt to remove your bughas, then Allah Ta'ala will remove your bughas. And he will accept your du'as also for that person <laughs> you may not want, but you will keep making them. Eventually then what happens is it's like you break down an ice wall and then eventually you will be able uh, to be happy and you will realize especially if they're another Muslim right, uh, that it's not uh, befitting a believer that they should have hatred or malice or spite for a fellow Muslim the next element that he mentions is what in English this translator has chosen to mention is iniquity. Uh, in Arabic this is called baghawa, sometimes zulm. What it means is, is that you harm somebody. You wrongly harm somebody, you hurt somebody, you oppress somebody without any right to wrongfully harm someone. Okay. 
So the disease of inequity, iniquity is defined as harming a fellow creature. He's not even saying human being here. It can be an animal. Harming a fellow creature without right. Its cause is the powerfully intoxicating wine called the love of position. You have a particular status. You feel that right? Uh, the government servants understand what I'm saying. Ronna, right? To right, suppress somebody underneath you, to use your power. And you'd be amazed. And actually one thing I really notice in this country is that the poor people mess each other up. The level at which the poor people undercut each other. It's not permissible for anybody to undercut anyone. But the lack of compassion that some, and it's not in any way all or most or many, but some that I've witnessed, some poor people, the lack of compassion they have for one another, the way they undercut one another, the way the slightly less poor will undercut, right? The guy who's the foreman will come to you and be all surgy, 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 but when you leave him, the foreman, the way he ruins his labor underneath him, although the foreman himself is pretty much just one slight notch less poor. Then his labor underneath him, maybe he makes 9,000 and they make 6,000. It's not much of a difference, right? But even that difference, he feels it. And he lords it over them and he harms them and he oppresses them. So this is what he's saying is that the cause, what is the root of this illness? This love of position. So he says, remember if you wish to turn this intoxicant into useful vinegar. And this is a kanaya here, that from dates and from grapes you can make two things. One is you can make khamar which is wine, which is an intoxicant, which is a substance that is haram, which leads to bad attributes if it is consumed. And from that same grape you can make vinegar. And vinegar is something that is beneficial. In fact, in the hadith on Tib, the Prophet has mentioned the faza'il and the benefits, the physical benefits of sirka, of vinegar. Right? And they can both be made from the same thing. So many times you find this theme, that you have one thing, and from that, like a grape, you can make something that is good or you can make something that is evil, something that is beneficial or something that is harmful. So he's saying, how can you change this wine of intoxication of the love of position into useful vinegar? How many a leader achieved his heart's desire of rank and position, yet in the end the devotee and his object of devotion were leveled to equal planes by death? So the first thing he's mentioning is that number one is that in terms of moat, all of us are equal. All of us are going to die. And he's not just mentioning that to remind us of physical death. Moat here has the connotation of being returned to your Lord. And in that sense, all of us are going to be returned to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And whatever zulm I do on this person, whatever harm I inflict on this person, I'm going to be called to account for that. And he will also be given audience by Allah to file his complaint against me. If no court in this world is willing to listen to his petition, if no Malik, no boss is willing to listen to his claim against me in this world, there is a Malik of the Yom Al-Qiyamah, who is the master of that day, the master of all of us, who is going to give him a complete hearing, an audience, and then is going to call me to task. Right? So keep in mind that this desire is about turning away from your master towards his impoverished and miserly servants. Concern with the affections of others is exhausting, and though you may please some, others will flee from you filled with anger. Yet what is prohibited regarding the pleasure of others is what is procured by way of trickery, ostentatious display of religiosity, or hypocritical affectation. What is he mentioning here? He's mentioning this notion that sometimes a person will justify their uh, behavior that I'm doing something for the sake of making another person happy. Right? I'm doing this to the sake of pleasing somebody else. So what he says is again, concern with the affections of others is exhausting. If you run around in this world 
trying to please everyone and to do whatever makes other people pleased, that will exhaust you and that is tireless and you will never succeed even because you cannot please everyone. So though you may, though you may please some, others will flee from you filled with anger because when you try to please them and you don't, you're unsuccessful, then oh, they get angry with you. You don't meet their expectations, you don't fulfill the expectations that they had of you. Then he goes on to the formal legal ruling that what is prohibited regarding pleasing others is what is procured by way of trickery, right? So if you obtain something through some lie, some fraud, some deception, or ostentatious display of religiosity. Let me explain both. Trickery means that you get something of this world. This happens to a lot of people in Pakistan, justify bribery and corruption. Why? Because they're trying to please their parents or they're please their children or please their spouse. And so what they do is they earn money through at best doubtful or suspicious or tricking ways or sometimes through outright unlawful ways, right? But they justify this to themselves and you see when you justify something you won't feel remorse and you'll never make istighfar and you'll never do tawbah because you think it's perfectly fine. And they justify it to themselves in this way saying that well we have to do it to keep those around us pleased with us, those around us happy with us. The second way is ostentatious display of religiosity. These are those people who sell their deen for money. Right, who stand there waving a green turban and asking you to give them something just because they are religious, right? So we cannot, and that's the extent of their deen. They garb themselves in the outer trappings and the outer garments of the sunnah in order to earn financial gain from that sunnah. So this is also an improper way to gain money. Or another way to read this is that to please somebody, so the reason you write a display religiosity is not to please someone, it's only to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We cannot engage in any type of ibadah or any aspect of the deen to please another human being. That is a type of shirk in our niyat. Right? Everything that we do should have the most pure, the most sincere intention, which is that we're doing it for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or hypocritical affectation. This, you know what this is, right? That, oh, two girls are doing humat of somebody, and then that girl comes, Ha, salaikum, kya hale, Oh, shabash. <laughs> just one second ago, let me just rewind the tape, 20 seconds ago, and what were you just saying about that girl? But hypocritical affectation, It's not just a girl saying, boys, men, right? Men who you know, say all type of things about you behind your back when they meet you. They meet you as if, Allahu Akbar, as if they are your bosom buddy, and they are your best friend. It's a hypocritical affectation. Know that the seeker of their pleasure cannot expect the pleasure of Allah. If you seek the pleasure of makhluk exclusively, you will not be able to get the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sooner or later there will be a contradiction. So what he's saying here in essence is if you prefer seeking the pleasure of makhluk, you will not get the pleasure of Allah, the fashioner of creation, the mighty, the capable, the khaliq, the azim. As for the one whose heart is encrusted with the love of this world, his only cure is having certainty of his mortality. So when we get caught up in love of this world, love of display, ostentation, the only cure for that is to realize that this world is not going to last forever. So this thing that you love is not going to be there forever. The example we normally give of this is if you stay a night in a hotel room, you can be a five-star hotel room, a wonderful hotel room, but because you know this is only going to last one night, you're not going to live in this hotel room forever. So you don't attach your heart to it. And you know with absolute certainty that tomorrow or the next day or maybe a week from now I'm going to check out. But your check out is such a certainty that even if you're there for a week or two weeks, 
because you're so sure you're going to check out, you never get attached to that room, to its walls, to its wallpaper, to its furniture, to anything. You just live in there, you just clock in, clock out, you just go there to sleep or to eat or whatever you do in the hotel room, right? And that is the way we should actually view this world. That this world is a place that all of us are guaranteed that we're going to check out from it. So his cure is then to have certainty of his mortality. Thus, if he keeps death constantly before his eyes, this acts as a cleanser for the soiled matter encrusting his heart. He's playing on a theme of hadith that the Prophet said. First, Allah SWT has mentioned this in the Quran al-Kareem about kufr, which is the ultimate sin. Bal lana ala qulubihim, that verily rust came onto their spiritual hearts. The Prophet has continued this theme in hadith that for the believers, that any time a believing Muslim commits a sin, a black spot comes on his heart. Such that as he continues to sin, he continues to having black spots come on his heart. Another day the Prophet mentioned in Sikalatun that for each and everything there is a polish. With Sikalatun Kulubi Dhikrullah. And the polish for the spiritual hearts is the remembrance of Allah. So the polisher for this person for this is to remember death. To remember that this life is fleeting and therefore I should not be overly attached to it. Right? And this is true whether a person is an ordinary person, whether a person has a lot of power, rank, status, even when a person is a leader, right? And certainly the Sahaba Kiram, radiallahu anhu ajma'in, the Khulafai Rashidin, and all of the other pious leaders that this Muslim Ummah has been able to witness, did not live a life as if their kursi or their position or their throne was going to last forever. They knew this whole world is going to come to an end. The next illness that he mentions is love of the world. This is a very famous thing the Prophet said in Hadith, Hubbul Dunya Khatiya. That love for the world is the ras, is literally the source. Kulli Khatiya of each and every wrong that a person does. So in the Hadith, and there's several Hadith that identify different things as the root cause, right? One root cause over and over mentioned in the Hadith and in the Quran al Karim is love for this world. So what does he write in his poem? Realize also that blameworthy love of this world is what is solely for the benefit of the self. It does not include desiring it so that others are not burdened. In other words, it means others are not burdened by your needs. And so that you are secure from dependence on other people. Nor does it include desiring it as provision for the next world. So we have to understand that there are several categories. And the same five categories that we have normally in legal rulings. That's required, obligatory, recommended, permissible, disliked, and prohibited. These same five categories are going to apply for love for the world. That love for the world, or really, we wouldn't use the word love, but that seeking after the world that is mandatory is to earn a risk halal al-tayyib, which is sufficient for you and those who are dependent on you, such that you would not be dependent or burdensome on anyone else. That is obligatory, to the extent that anyone is able to do so. That which is recommended is that if a person has the ability to acquire more of this, run, there's certain conditions with which you have to work in the world. Obviously, there are certain things that you cannot do, such as interest and insurance. There are certain regulations that regulate the ability of a woman to work in this world. Right? If she is able to uh, work in an environment, in a setting that is in accordance with the Sharia, then it is permitted for her to work as well, provided that her husband gives her, her permission, his permission. The second is recommended seeking of this world, and that is that you wish to acquire that of the world that is beyond this level of risky halal that you and your dependents need, but you do so for the sake of some good niyat. Maybe a person says that, okay, I want to be able to go on hajj and umrah regularly. 
a person says that I want to be able to give sadaqah for the, in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I want to be able to support the poor, I want to build masajid, I want to build institutions of Islamic learning. They basically, their niyat in trying to acquire more of the world beyond their necessity, right, is good. It's for a sound purpose and they want the thawab that comes from that. That's also perfectly fine. That look, there are many ways people earn thawab in this world. Somebody has a tibiyat, he's able to offer lots of nawaqal. Maybe my, I'm not able to do that, right? Some people say openly. Then would say, ye badate, shibadate, nehoti, itni zada. Ab me kya karu, ab what I will do, I will earn money. And I will perhaps fund the people of ibadah, I will fund the place of ibadah, I will, that will be my ibadah that I will spend in sadaqah. Or a person says that Allah has given me this ability. I mean, alhamdulillah, I'm a rich person. Allah has given me this malaka, this ability in entrepreneurship or in business. So what I'll do is I'll keep running my business and the surplus money that I get beyond my need and necessity, I will donate that to various uh, different ways of doing khidmat of the deen. Right? Permissible. Permissible love of this world is, it is permissible technically speaking that a person wishes to acquire the world other than these two. Number one was necessity, risk halal tayyib. And the second one was for the sake of doing khidmat of the deen. A third way is a person says, well, you know, I just want a nice life. I'm going after the next job simply because I want to live more comfortably. I want to have a better car, maybe a bigger place or whatever it is, right? As long as they're not going into excess, which is israf, they're not doing it out of show, ostentation, display, riya, right? Then that is permissible for them. As long as the means through which they acquire the world are lawful and they not go through any type of excess. That which is disliked, Right? That which is disliked is to accumulate wealth. This is this word accumulation, right? Which is one of the mantras of capitalism, right? Accumulation for the sake of accumulation is disliked. And the more and more you accumulate it and the more and more you do it purely for the sake of accumulation, the more and more it becomes severely and prohibitively disliked. It moves up to a level of karahat al tahrim or becomes makruh tahrimi. That a person just likes to have money just for the sake of it. They're not trying to show off. Nobody even knows. Right? They don't show it off to anybody. They live simply. They do fulfill their needs. They're not a burden on somebody else. They do give some amount for the service of the inner service of humanity. But at the same time, that inside, they still like to have it. And they still want it. They enjoy looking at their bank balance. You have these people in America that they, they check their stocks every day. They check their mutual fund every single day, several times a day on the internet. Their homepage is their little financial uh, page. They set their homepage so that they enjoy it. This is disliked, right? This represents an attraction to the dunya. It's granting the dunya a maqam that it doesn't have. What is that maqam that we're wanting to acquire the dunya for its own sake? The dunya has no value. You cannot acquire it for its own sake. You must acquire it either at the first instance as ibadah, rizki halal tayyib, or for some noble purpose. It has no value in of itself. And for our hearts to be pleased by that, to be pleased by how much we have amassed or accumulated wealth, for its own sake, that is a disease of the heart. And therefore becomes disliked. Obviously the last and fifth level which is prohibited is to acquire the dunya number one through any unlawful means. Or number two, to acquire the dunya for the sake of israf or excess or waste. To waste the dunya. Right? And, and you see this and me and you have this. We have traces of this. Don't think that, oh, I'm free from that. That fifth level must be some really, really rich extravagant person. Me and you have our little extravagances. Mean you touch level five. Sometimes we do it, the most simple way we do it is in our wastage of food. And this month of Ramadan, really, uh, we should feel that way, that we should try not to waste food, we should make toba 
of all the food that we wasted, we should imagine, when I was a kid, there's one thing I used to imagine, just, I don't know how this occurred to me, uh, given my childhood, but when I was a kid, I used to imagine that all the food that I would not eat on the plate is going to be collected somewhere. And I would imagine that if I keep wasting food, then it's going to keep piling up. Now, if you imagine, there's no, I have no shari to deal for this, but if you imagine that a judgment, you will be called to account for everything that you do. That for sh- is there for sure. So we are called to account all the food that we wasted is put in front of us in a pile on that day. And all the poor people who we neglected to help, and the literal, the poor, i.e. famine, right? People are presented to us, and then we look at these two things, what answer are we going to have? So we waste things. Sometimes you waste food, sometimes you waste money, right? And again, I give you this example of miserliness, that people are willing to spend money on the most trivial of things. To spend 300 rupees to get a jazz card to SMS people, or to talk totally idle conversation, but when somebody comes to you, you find it difficult to even give them a 50. You can blow 300 rupees like this, so that's a notion here, that's a skew, there's a problem. There's a very big problem that we have, right? So many times we do fall into extravagance, and we should be careful from doing so. Amit then finished what he has read. (coughs) Indeed, love of this world falls under the five categories of legal rulings, such that its acceptability or its harm is based on what it helps one to achieve. Again, that means that dunya has no value in of itself. What we call lizatihi or finafsihi, it has no purpose. Its only value is lirayrihi, for something other than it. If the love of something of this world is for the purpose of helping one achieve something prohibited, then that world is also prohibited. So I'm earning money so that I can do some haram sin. And I mentioned this to you earlier, right around the Ramadan talk, that if you have a sinful tabiyat, you need money to fulfill certain of your sinful desires. So for a person, even if their earning is lawful, their job is lawful, their income is lawful, but their niyat is I want to earn money from this job to become a free-wheeling, free-loading, free-dealing type of person, then that money, that kasbi dunya, that kasb, that earning has also become haram for them. For, because that was their niyat. As such, censoring the world is only for those things that do not advance one's salvation. So anything in this dunya that benefits our akhirah is good for us. And this is why this dua Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made that many people misunderstand and misquote also. That didn't Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say in the Quran that you should ask for the dunya? Yes. But look at the way Allah ta'ala said it. Rabbana atna fi dunya hasana. Not mutlaq. We're not asking for the dunya mutlaqan. It's not unqualified. We're asking for the hasanat of this dunya. Though the hasanat of this dunya can even, number one, be amal salih They can actually be religious things. Secondly, if you want to take it in a material way, which it is there, the scope is there in that, right? I want that money of this dunya that has hasan, that is pure, that is noble, that is virtuous, that will bring me to virtue, that has some benefit, right? So certainly that dua is there, but so, and so other than that, we are going to censor those things that do not advance one's salvation. Thus, for these reasons, censoring is restricted to its ardent love. To have an ardent, deep love for the dunya, right? How do we check this in ourselves, right? And sometimes people wonder that, when, when do I know, is it dunya and when is it jai? So when I go to a clothing store, right, and I kind of like that piece of clothing, I mean, what is that? Is that hubit dunya? Am I not allowed to buy that clothing? Am I being bad? Am I being doing extravagant? When is it permissible for me to, aren't we not allowed to indulge a little bit in this world? Yes, you are, right? Really, the thing to be watchful over is your heart. You have to judge this for yourself. If you don't get that item, would you be sad? If that's a, that's a problem. Your happiness and sadness cannot be attached to acquisition of the dunya. 
getting a clothing or getting a car or getting something like that cannot be the basis of your happiness and sadness. Right? If we're so overjoyed at getting it, or we're so saddened at not being able to get it, literally, I mean sadness, that, oh, you don't have it in my size? I don't have it in my size. Can't you get it from another brand? <laughs> right? So that's a sign that's too much, right? That's too much, right? So if you like it, you're allowed, you should buy things, you are allowed to spend on yourself, and actually there's another sign in there. Allah Ta'ala wants to see you happy in the name that He's given you. So the second thing, so the first thing to look at is your happiness and sadness shouldn't be so attached to it. The second thing is that you should do shukr. So when you get it, are you acquiring so much dunya that has made you ghafil of that Lord who's giving you the dunya? That's a problem and you should put the brakes on and say, okay, look, I need to hold myself back. I'm apparently not able to enjoy these blessings in a state of shukr. So I better curtail them, build up my shukr, build up my ability to do shukr, and then go back and try to enjoy blessings. So the second thing is to make sure that we have shukr, that we are grateful and thankful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright? Still, uh, <coughs> no. uh, indeed the best of creation, the Prophet prohibited cursing the world. So we don't curse the world. Right? The world itself is not a curse. The world has a potential. It has the potential to bring you to eternal bliss. That is this dunya. The dunya has incredible ability to benefit us as well. Things are praised or censored only by virtue of what results from them like healing or disease. Therefore, what is obtained for one's physical necessities by means of wealth or worldly position is beneficial. Still, some scholars scorn the accumulation of great wealth, fearing the risk of transgressing the bounds of permissibility. That's another thing that people notice things, like any other medical practitioner. So these are people who are trying to heal us, right? Now, if a doctor feels that, you know, you should stay away from that, well, why? Is it guaranteed to bring in this illness? We say no, but we've noticed that people who indulge in this, many of them end up going overboard, many of them end up becoming sick. So similarly, a person who amasses a lot of the dunya, many people aren't able to handle that. The dunya is a responsibility. It's a burden that you have something. Are you responsible enough to be grateful for, to spend it responsibly, etc., etc.? If, you if you're not so sure you can handle that burden, then one would want to be careful. One who earns wealth for the purpose of vain, glorious competition. That's a bit of Hobbesian language for those who read Hobbes. One who earns wealth for the purpose of vain, glorious competition is reckoned as among those who perpetrate enormities, perpetrate kabar. In other words, another thing is to get the dunya simply as a race. And people call it the rat race. This is what people at least in Europe call the dunya. In Manhattan is all about the rat race. You're competing with one another just to get more, not to be a better person. So there's another type of competition Allah Ta'ala joined us in the Qur'an al Kareem that strive with one another, and it's really, literally it's vie with one another in good works, in good a'mal, in trying to become more and more pleasing to your Lord. Not to compete with one another in trying to accumulate the dunya. And people have this right, especially, uh, you know, with cars and with homes, and people come back and perishanu jatte. Right, that oh, falah neighbor just got a new car, and it's about time, high time, that we start thinking of also doing something about our dunya. We have to keep up the thing within your family, within your neighbors. You will find this. If you don't find it in yourself, certainly you would find it amongst your family members and neighbors. Uh, and this is not the right reason to get the dunya, right? And it's also a son. You were perfectly content before you saw that person's whatever car or house. You were content, which means you were fine. You had enough. And that money that you, that you, whatever surplus money you had, you were probably using it on good. So the way shaitan lures us, right, is he doesn't want us to use our surplus money for the deen. 
He doesn't want you to right, spend money on going for Umrah. So when the neighbor gets something, you can spend lakhs to match their economic development. But Umrah karet batane yar with the baad mehenga. So it's the things that benefit you, he's going to make look extremely expensive. And he's going to make them look as luxury goods, things you can dispense with. Your whole, what is it? Elasticity of demand, right? Uh huh, right? So your arm, I don't know what it is, but one of it is going to be elastic, and one of it is going to spend years, decades. But, and, and your view, right, your ability to spend for things that are frivolous, right, just for the sake of show. So this is a sign, how do I know am I doing a prostitution? Are you willing to spend the money, right? You, right, get a pair of shoes that are perfectly fine, but well, what is that? Designer labels, yes, abagiba. Designer labels, right? I must have the Prada bag, I must have the, you know, uh, I don't know what, you know, the Pirelli tires, right? Whatever it is, right, I'm looking for the name. Now, who's going to look at the name? The name is just for show, right? And you're willing, if you're willing to shell out extra... For quality, is a different thing. Some name brands are actually better in quality. That's different. You can shell out the extra money for better quality. But if you're shelling out the extra money just for the sake of having the name, right, just for the sake of being able to tell people, then that's a problem, right? Uh, that's a very big problem. Right? Love uh, of praise for what one has not accomplished is caused by desiring other than Allah. Okay? Love of praise for what one has not accomplished. This is referring to another thing, which is another thing, love for the world is coming to Pakistan. It's already arrived, which is what we call consumerism. Which is people want to live beyond their means, beyond their ability. And this whole industry of Western capitalist finance is designed to enable you to do precisely that. The credit card... In essence, a credit card really wants you to buy more than you can afford and therefore carry all these balances. America has a trillion, trillion dollar consumer credit card debt. Not billion, trillion. <laughs> consumer credit card debt. Right? It's an amazing country. It's a three trillion dollar deficit. You give us three trillion dollars deficit and see what we can make of this country. Right? Uh, so they're operating a three trillion dollar deficit and a lot of that is consumer debt. And a lot of that's consumer credit card debt. Another way is sort of house loans, car leasing. And that's actually been one of the flaws of Islamic banking that they haven't been able to realize. That fine, you've got a jayas way for somebody perhaps to get a car, right? The problem was, is that person used to be achanek muttaki banda. He was content with the cultus. He didn't have this consumerism in him. But all of a sudden, you made this technique and now he also wants the Corolla, right? So living beyond your means, living beyond your ability, Right? Uh, and that is, the last line is very key, that that is caused by desiring other than Allah. And you will find this theme over and over and over again in the Quran, and the Hadith, and the sayings of the Mashaykh, that love for the dunya is contrasted with love for Allah. If you have love for dunya in your heart, you won't be able to get love for Allah down in your heart. And the more and more the love for Allah you have in your heart, the more and more you will be safeguarded from the love of the dunya. Because the heart is like a room. And every room in this world is either light or it's dark. There's no third possibility. So either your heart has the nur of the love for Allah. If it doesn't, there's no neutral state. The absence of nur itself is zulm. The absence of nur itself is darkness. So if we don't have the nur of the love for Allah Ta'ala in our heart, we will have the darkness of the love for Allah in our heart. And one of those ghairs that many of us can fall into is love for this world. The last one I will do one more today, 
uh, because it relates to all of this. It's really joined to both uh, hatred and love for this world. And then we'll come to something else uh, on Thursday. It's envy. It's hasad. The Arabic word for it, or the word also, Aliban for envy, is hasad. If you were to describe your desire that someone lose his blessing as hasad, then your description will be accurate. So what does hasad mean again? Not that you want what the other person has. That might be a good thing. That is called hasra. And you have the same thing with the hasra. That right? Hasad means that you want the other person to lose their ni'mah. You want them to be deprived. The lower level of hasad is you want them to be deprived so you can get it. So it's kind of a competition or a rivalry thing. More intense hasad is I want them to be deprived. I don't care if I get it or not. That doesn't mean anything to me. But they shouldn't have it. Right? This is hasad, right? This is hasad. That you want a person to be deprived of that blessing. In other words, if you yourself were able, through some means, to eliminate someone's blessings, you would utilize the means to do so. And this is why we do great shukr that button in Sanoke Hatman. Agar button in Sanoke Hatman, oh, you'd all be destroying one another. You'd be destroying one another. Allah Ta'ala ke hapmeh. Right? It means that when we say that really, and sometimes, sometimes at higher levels, we do try. We actually try to undermine, to undercut the other person. Either through slander, through ghibah, through attack, through anything. Right? The way you can tell you have hasad for somebody is if they're praised in front of you, you feel bad. It chubs your heart. It hurts your heart when that person is praised in front of you. That means that you're upset and you don't want them, you want to be deprived of this praiseworthy characteristic, this praiseworthy quality. And then sometimes it's also love for the self. You want that I should be praised. This is what shaitan had, this was his hasad. Shaitan's ultimate primordial sin was hasad. He had hasad for Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam. Why is it that this creation, that Allah Ta'ala is commanding the angels to bow to him? If the angels should be commanded to bow to anyone, they should have been commanded to bow to me. This is what shaitan wanted. And then, he spent as he sworn. What is he sworn? To deprive humanity of this blessing. To deprive humanity of their blessing that they are Ashraf al-Makhlukat. This is what he sworn. No, I'm going to lead them astray. I'm going to deprive them of the fact that they are your uh, beloveds, that they are your beloved creation. I'm going to spend my whole life depriving them, trying to deprive them of that blessing. It's pure hasad. He's a being of hasad. If you want to understand shaitan, shaitan is hasad incarnate. Certainly he's evil incarnate, but in his ultimate self, he is hasad incarnate. So that's another reason if we ever feel that we are feeling hasad, right, one cure for that is to think that my nisbat goes back to shaitan. Right, that I am actually succumbing to a shaitanic characteristic. And look what that got him. The most ultimate punishment. The lowest of the lowest shaitan. Right, so it's not only is it the most incredible, but one of the most incredible sins, but it brings with us one of the most enormous and incredible uh, punishments. But if the fear of Allah, the eternally besought, prevents you from doing so, then you are not an envious person. This is what Imam Ghazali expected with hope from the bounty of the possessor of majesty, from the bounty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, dhul jalali wal ikram, the possessor of majesty and generosity. He said, and Imam Ghazali said, that whoever despises envy such that he loathes it in himself, then he is safeguarding from fulfilling what it customarily necessitates. What does this mean? Allah Subhanahu teaches us in the Quran to seek refuge in him min sharri hasidin idha hasad to seek envy from him from the evil of the envier when he envies 
So the notion here is that envy normally is followed up by some evil action. Normally people are unable to control their hasad. And in a state of hasad, they act upon their hasad and they perpetrate some act of evil. So Imam Ghazali is saying is, number one, if you're able to contain your hasad, if you're able to swallow your hasad, if you're able to despise your hasad, right, then at least you are saved from that haram. There's a second level, however, is to eliminate the trace of hasad inside of us. And you'll find this with many sins. One thing is not to act on an unlawful desire. The second thing is to try to develop yourself so that you don't feel that unlawful desire. One thing is not to act on anger. The second is not to feel that unlawful anger. One thing is not to act on that envy. The second is not to feel that envy. So Imam Ghazali is drawing the line at that first step. Right? However, Imam al continues that as for the cure, it is to act contrary to one's desire. For example, being beneficent to a person when it seems appealing to harm him, or praising him when you desire to find fault in him. It's very difficult to do. If you have hasad to someone, you want to find out their faults. You want to degrade that person in the eyes of others. The cure for that is if you feel you're, at, you're sad that somebody is praising them, you should add to that praise. Try yourself humble. You, you don't even notice he also has this good quality, or she also has this good quality. Right? Force yourself. Again, this is going to be jabber in the beginning, but force yourself to praise that other person. Whenever you find the desire to find fault in someone, the cure to that is to find their virtues. And to not only seek their virtues, but to act on that and to actually start praising them to other people. Also, the cure is in knowing that envy only harms the envier. It causes them to be grievously preoccupied with this object of envy today. In other words, you become obsessed. This leads to obsession, compulsion, obsessive compulsive behavior. And that's only going to harm you. Hasad is a fire that the first is going to consume the closest thing to it. The closest thing to it is your heart. The first thing to go will be your own heart. You will be burnt by your own hasad. Right? And in this world and in the next life, if we don't do tawbah from it, we will be burnt by another type of fire as a punishment for that hasad. So hasad never benefits the hasad. Envy never benefits the envier. Nor does it ever succeed. He's saying if nothing else works on you, Envy does not remove from the one envy the blessing that he has. It's not going to work. Anyway, even if you feel hasad for that person, it's still not going to deprive it. It's Allah Ta'ala's den, and Allah Ta'ala has given it. This is the fuzzle of Allah. He gives it to whom he wants. How can your hasad in any way change what Allah has chosen to give or whom he has chosen to give it to? It's elements of hasad include animosity, enmity. Number two, vying for the love of others, competing that I want to be the beloved, I want to be the favorite, I want the attention, I want the gaze, I want the time. And feeling hustled when somebody else gets that time. Arrogance, poor self-worth. He's saying that the root of asad is actually that you have an inferiority complex, that you have a low self-esteem, low self-worth. Vanity, which is conceit, love of leadership, and avaricious greed for things. These seven things bring about hasad and envy in a person. As for a blessing that a disbeliever or corrupt Muslim has that enables them and that they use to harm others or show aggression because of it, then it is permissible for a person to wish that they be deprived of that blessing. That's not hasad. Right? If you find, right, first to find hasad is you wish the others to be deprived of the blessing they have. However, if they are an unbeliever or a corrupt Muslim, and they're using that blessing to harm others, right? Then it is permissible to wish that they be deprived of that blessing. That would not be hasad, but that would actually be 
uh, a good desire for the sake of preserving yourself or preserving the community or preserving the ummah, right? We should wish that those who are harmful to others should be given less opportunity to do so, should have less ability to do so. And if Allah Ta'ala has given them so many opportunity or ability, we would want for them to be deprived of such opportunity and ability. So now we will take your questions on hasad, on uh, love for the world, and on bogus, on hatred, malice, and spite, and zulm, iniquity. Four things today, bogus, zulm, hubbidunya, and hasad, hatred, malice, and malice, and spite for someone. Iniquity means zulm, harming someone, love for the world, and hasad.